Good morning, everybody. Happy Martin Luther King Day weekend. Uh, my name is, yes, give it up for that. That's certainly worthy of our applause. Uh, my name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, man, really great to be with you guys this weekend. So let me pray for us and we'll get to today. God, our good Father, uh, Lord, so much can be swirling around in our heads right now, so many different things that could claim our attention. And Lord, I just pray for us to live in the moment. God, will we find you in our present moment? Not what has happened before, not what we are hoping to happen later. In this moment, God, may we find you. In Jesus, let me pray. Amen. I don't know how long uh, you've been around Scripture and the Bible and different things like that. I don't know if you've ever read something that the first time you read it, you just knew that this was going to be your life verse. For me, this happened a couple years ago, and I was reading a passage of Scripture that hit me in the chest, and I knew just uh, by reading that that this was going to characterize so much of my life and my faith journey. It comes from the book of Mark uh, 9.24, and it's a man saying, I believe but help my unbelief. So much of my life feels like it can be wrapped up into that one statement. I believe. I have faith. I'm a pastor for crying out loud. But there's also a piece of me that struggles with unbelief. Here's what I know to be true about faith. Uh, faith is not something that any of us finds, finds easy. And if you find it easy, it's probably not really faith. But faith is something that everybody is interested in. It's not just the people who are here today listening to a sermon, but people all over the world, uh, faith is a, is a pretty big concept. I know this to be true because as a pastor, uh, every single time I go out to a sports bar to watch the Knicks lose in peace, um, <laughs> whenever I'm talking to someone, I'm an extrovert, and whenever I'm talking to someone, uh, and the conversation comes up to a profession and what do you do for a living, and whenever I say that I'm a pastor, one of two reactions usually happens. The first reaction is they immediately change the subject and say, is that, the bathroom is open? Wait, is that, I'm going to go clean the bathroom, actually. I'm just, and they just leave. They want the conversation to be over as quick as possible. I say that kind of joking around, but that's actually a really, really sad indictment of the American church. Like, that's really sad when people are afraid or just like scared when they talk to a pastor. That's, that's, that's really sad. That's a whole nother sermon uh, right there. The other reaction I get is they immediately start telling me their entire life story about life and faith. And I'm like, bro, the chicken wings just came out. I'm really just, just talk. I'm listening, bro. I promise I'm listening. No, but people start to tell me their whole, their whole story. And man, you get to, in New York City, you get to hear it all, man. Some people... They grew up agnostic, or they grew up Christian, or they grew up Jehovah's Witness, or they grew up Catholic, or they grew up Muslim, or any type of religion you can imagine, uh, it all happens. And I usually bump into one of any number of people. A lot of times, I'll bump into someone who's, man, they're just like really curious about why I have faith. Sometimes it's because they grew up in a household that went to church or went to the mosque, or they had faith growing up, and now they're just kind of in this displaced spot where... They're, they don't have their mother and father's faith, but they also don't have a faith of their own, and they're trying to figure it out. And they have a lot of questions for me about why do I believe about what I, I believe. Faith is a, it's a big deal. Some other times, uh, I meet someone who is very proud that they are a Christian, and they just want to have a better and more genuine version of faith. And I think a lot of you guys would fall onto that, on, under that umbrella. 
Uh, you want to have a real faith. You want your tombstone to say that you were a person who lived by faith, that when life got hard or when life was easy, but that at all moments, you were a person who lived by faith. Other times, it's people who say, you know what, I don't, I don't have faith, bro. Like, that's for some people, but that's not for me. I live by reason. Uh, once upon a time, uh, you know, I had a philosophy class and my professor told me something, and now I no longer believe in anything at all. Whether it's, regardless of where you are, whether you think you're a person of faith, or you know you're a person of faith, or you don't know what you believe about yourself, uh, faith is a really, really important thing. In the Bible, actually, there's two scriptures that are repeated over and over and over again. One of those scriptures is, do not be afraid. And Lord, we need to do a sermon series on that. So much of our life is characterized by fear. Fear of God. Fear of the unknown. Fear of ourselves. Fear of what we can't control. The other scripture that's repeated over and over and over again comes to us from the book of Romans. And it says, the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. What does it mean to be righteous? To be righteous means that in God's eyes, you and God are in good standing. So every single human being who is in good standing with God doesn't live by what they can see and control and manipulate. If you're going to be righteous, you need to live by faith. There's an entirely different set of standards for life altogether if we're going to uh, fulfill what's, uh, what's said in that scripture. But what is faith, regardless of what you... Um, uh, came in this morning thinking faith is, uh, what is it? Like, what's a good definition of it? One of the best ways I know how to bring clarity to the subject of something like faith, which is so big and so vast, is to kind of talk about what it is not first, right? Like, what is, what is faith not? Faith is not a feeling, first and foremost. Too many of us rely on feelings to guide us, and we think that our life rises and falls based on how we're feeling for that specific day. But faith is it's much bigger than a feeling, and I know this to be true because there's so many times in life where God will be calling you to go to places that you don't feel like going. H.B. Charles is a, is a wonderful uh, preacher in Florida, and he says it like this, faith does not get real until you trust Jesus to take you where you do not want to go. That's when faith gets real. Faith is not a feeling. I know, I know this to be true personally. Um, there's been times and moments in my life where I've had to forgive someone. And I'm thinking about what they did, how they were wrong, how they harmed me. And sometimes they didn't even really feel that contrite. They weren't even that sorry about it. And when I come to the words of Scripture, Jesus tells me to follow him and to be a person who forgives others, even those people who have hurt me. Now, quick parentheses, forgiveness does not mean reconciliation. It does not mean blessing what someone has done. It does mean releasing the debt that you thought you had over them. You're never going to forget, feel like forgiving someone who has done you dirty. Faith is not feeling. Faith is allowing Jesus to take you places that you don't want to go. Faith is also not a formula. Right? Faith is, an, is not a slot machine. It's not something you can type into your calculator that if you put this in, you will get a desired result. Faith is, no way that we can, faith is not something we can use to manipulate God to get the life that we want. Now, a lot of times people, especially if you're new to church, you're like, hey, my life is a mess. Let me just come to church. I've tried other things. And all I know is this probably won't hurt. So they come, you stand when they say stand, you clap, you know what I'm saying? Oh, that was a funny Beyonce is not Michelle's. Uh, <laughs> And you're thinking that you're just adding to the, the credits that you have that hopefully one day you'll be able to cash these credits in to get something that you want. 
Faith is it's not a formula. In any relationship that you're in, if you can manipulate someone, that's not a good relationship. Right? Like if you're in a relationship where someone is manipulating you to do it their way and, just, and they're, they're doing things, that's, like, that's not a good relationship. But too often we take that perspective and approach into our relationship with God that we want to be able to manipulate it and control it uh, to get the life that we want. A few years ago, my wife and I, uh, we got invited to a wedding in India, and uh, we had an amazing time out there. And one of the sites that we wanted to see were just, you know, we were in Delhi, and there's, Delhi is just few, full of all of these Hindu temples. And we went into one of the Hindu temples just to observe, and man, I was, I was really struck when I was there. I was, I was sitting there watching people put in the coins to the gods, and they were back away. And I thought to myself, man, so many Christians approach God like this. It's a transaction. It's God, I'm going to do this, and if I do this and I bow like this, then you're obligated to do what I want you to do. Faith is not a formula. It's allowing God to take you to places that you probably would not have gone. It's, it's trusting in him in, in other ways. It's not something that you can manipulate. It's, it's not that clean and that easy. Faith is also not about the amount that you have. It's not like you know, 10 pounds of faith is like way better than 50 pounds of faith or, or, or vice versa. It's not really the amount of faith that you have. It's what your faith is actually placed in. Some theologians have said like this, it's not the strength of your faith. It's the object of your faith. I've used this example before, but it's probably the best way I know how to explain it. Imagine there are two people who are about to walk on to ice. And the first person has all of this faith. And they said, I know my God is going to help me stand up on this ice, and the ice is about a quarter inch thick. They step out onto the ice, and, um, you know, what would happen to them would absolutely happen. They would fall right through because a quarter inch of the ice is not thick enough to support the weight of a grown adult. It doesn't matter how much faith they had. If their faith is placed in the wrong thing, then it's going to fail them. It's not the amount of faith that you have. It's what you are putting your faith into. Now reverse that. Imagine there's someone who is timid, who's scared, and they barely have a little faith, and they step out onto a lake with two feet thick of ice. It doesn't matter how timid they are. It doesn't matter how scared they are. It doesn't matter how many doubts and reservations they have. What's going to hold them up is not the amount of their faith, but the object of their faith. What did they put their faith onto? So faith is not a feeling. Faith is not a formula. And faith is not the, about the amount. What is Faith. What is biblical faith? Um, biblical faith is a, a belief in God that leads to action. Now, there's about 100 different definitions uh, we can have, but this one is comprehensive enough that it's a belief in God. It's a belief that you have in God that leads you to action. In the book of James, it's a, it's a very practical book in the Bible. And if you're looking to, to read something in the Bible in a new year and you want something that's practical, read the book of James. James goes through this entire treatise talking about how faith without works is dead. And to simply believe something in your head, if that doesn't lead you towards some action, then it's not a real faith. James says, I'll show you my faith by my works. I'll show you my real legitimate faith by the things that I do. Faith is a belief in God that leads us to action. Now, we're in the book of John, and we've been looking at this, uh, the book of John for the last number of months, and we're taking our time, and we're allowing John to let us stop and to notice and to observe things in the Bible that we might miss otherwise. And today, John introduces us to a character that teaches us about faith. 
And how do you and I operate in faith? And what does it look like for you to have a real, durable faith in Jesus? So it's in the end of John chapter 4, and I'll read it. It'll be on the screens uh, beside me. It says, He went again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. Now, this is Jesus' second uh, miracle that he, he does in the book of John. The first one was where he turned water into wine. And it's really important to note this because now there's starting to be a little crowd that's building around. There's some buzz about who Jesus is now. People have heard about Jesus, what he did the last time, and now people are excited and they're coming around and they're gathering around. So, so he went again to Cana of Galilee where he turned water to wine. There was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son since he was about to die. Jesus told him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Sir, the official said to him, come down before my boy dies. Go, Jesus told him, your son will live. The man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. While he was still going down, his servants met him saying that his boy was alive. He asked them, what time did he get better? Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him, they answered. The father realized that this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, your son will live. So he himself believed along with his whole household. Now this was also the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. Here we see a man uh, has this belief in God that leads to action. He comes to Jesus with a very pressing need that his son would be healed. Jesus tells him one word, go. He believed Jesus and he went. He allowed the words of God to direct his steps. This is what we're seeing, what, what faith is. Now, wouldn't it be easy, wouldn't it be nice if your life was that nice and neat and wrapped up, that your life can be wrapped up in a one 24-hour period and uh, you can simply take one step and then a day later, everything will be resolved um, and you would have great faith and you would be known as a person of faith. Wouldn't it be easy if faith came like that to us? For so many of us, there are real challenges to us being people who live by faith. Well, one of those big challenges is quite simply timing, right? Like, have you ever noticed that God's timeline and your timeline don't, don't match up? All throughout the Bible, actually, you see this concept that, um, that your timing and God's timing are not the same. Um, there's this one scripture in, in Luke where a, a man named Jairus comes to Jesus with his daughter who's, who's sick, and it says that Jesus stayed where he was for four more days. Some theologians argue that this is the greatest proof that Jesus was, in fact, Jamaican because he was in no rush, <laughs> no rush at all, at all, to do anything. No scholar has ever said that, by the way. But have you ever noticed in your life that God doesn't seem like he's in a rush? Things that feel like pressing needs to you just don't really feel like God is bothered by them. There's a ton of other scriptures where what we see in scripture is that Jesus is actually never panicking. He's never anxious about anything. And so many times there are things that fill us with anxiety and they don't fill Jesus with any anxiety because he knows he's in, in control. Our timing and God's timing are not the same and it's difficult to be a person of faith when it just went a, it went a little too long. Like you, it was cool for two months. You're like, all right, 
Jesus. Two months, that's, that's fine. Now you're tripping. This is ridiculous. <laughs> I say that in jest, but sometimes it's, it's been two months that have turned into to five years. And it's difficult to maintain faith when God's timing and your timing just seem to be on such different wavelengths. Man, another thing that's so difficult is that real, real relationships require vulnerability, and real faith requires vulnerability. It requires, as Brene Brown says, uh, trust is choosing to make something important to you vulnerable to the actions of someone else. Let that sink into your spirit. Trust is choosing to make something that is important to you. What is important to you right now? Think about something that's important to you. Trust is choosing, making the conscious decision to make that thing which is important to you vulnerable to the actions of someone else. In this case, God. One of my dear friends in uh, North Carolina tells, told a story about uh, when his daughter, his young daughter needed to have surgery and his baby girl and what it felt like to hand her over to a surgeon that he had just met 24 hours before and to be locked out on the other side of the door. And that which was most precious to him, he allowed to be vulnerable to the actions of someone else. The journey of faith is oftentimes like that. It's taking what, something that's really precious and valuable to you, and you're making it dependent and vulnerable on God's actions. And that's really difficult. But it's necessary because at the, the root of every single relationship that is good and that is thriving is vulnerability. If you want a good relationship, you don't need matching outfits. You need <laughs> vulnerability. Seriously. If you have a relationship where there's no vulnerability, where you can't lay before your, you, can't, you can't be hurt by the other person, then you'll never have anything good. I don't care how many Instagram likes and posts that y'all have together. Vulnerability is the key ingredient to a thriving relationship. Let me help some people out right now. A lot of the arguments that you have could be prevented if you led with vulnerability. Instead of leading with an accusation, if you led with how vulnerable you feel in that moment and express it to the, to the other person, make yourself vulnerable to that person and see what happens. Now, when someone gives you their vulnerability, you better be a person who treats it well because you might not get that opportunity anytime soon if you do it once. Now, if vulnerability is such a key ingredient for a good relationship with anybody, how could we have a thriving relationship with God without having to be vulnerable before him? Vulnerability is a, is a huge component to this, and it makes walking by faith difficult. Now, another challenge to walking by faith is just the fear of the unknown, right? Like, to walk by faith means that I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know what's going to happen next, and we have a deep-down fear of the unknown. If you know me, you know that I love podcasts, and um, I love, like, murder mysteries and, like, the whodunits. And walking, late, walking home late at night listening to a murder mystery after an abduction is not the greatest idea to do, so I wouldn't recommend that. But, man, the thing I love more even about than the story is there's usually a sub-story behind the, each murder mystery. And I was listening to this one podcast called In the Dark, and it talked about uh, this one abduction, this one boy went missing from a town, a small town in middle America. And the thing that was so interesting about that story was that this, this sheriff's department basically solved no cases. Like this one sheriff never solved any like big case. And the interviewer said, like, well, couldn't someone just 
Like, if you wanted to commit a crime, you should just do it in his county because he's literally never going to find out who did it. He had like a 5 or 10% closure rate, where in other jurisdictions, they have like 95% closure rates. So if you committed a crime, a violent crime in his county, there was a 90% chance you would get away. The interviewer was talking to people in the town, and they were like, why would you continue to elect? Because the sheriff's department is a, he runs for office. Like, why would you continue to put him in office if he has such a deplorable record with solving crimes? Like, the one thing he's supposed to do, he's not doing it. And you keep on voting for him. Why did you vote for him? One woman said, oh, you know, he goes to church with us, and he's a really good guy, and we know him. One quote has said, uh, I heard one quote that, um, better the devil you know than the angels you don't know. We would prefer to live with almost anything as long as we're familiar with it. Instead of something that can be way better, way more helpful, more, way more life-giving that we don't know. Deep down inside, we have this fear of the unknown, so deep that it would make people elect and re-elect a, a, a sheriff that's not doing his job just because they know him. How much of our life are we just putting on, are we just hitting rinse and repeat just because it's familiar to us? The life of faith will not take you down the road of familiar. It will take you on an entirely different path. And for so many of us, that makes faith, for myself included, that makes faith very uh, difficult. But you and I are not called to live out of fear. We're called to live out of faith. We're called to live out, out of a belief in God, trusting and accepting God's words and allowing his words to put us into action uh, and what do we see in John 4 about faith? So starting in verses 46 and 47, we're going to unpack a little bit of this. It says, He went again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had come down from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son since he was about to die. Now, if you read through this, too quickly, you'll, you'll miss some of this stuff. The first thing I really want you to see about faith uh, is that the beginning of this uh, section of Scripture and the end of it talk about a man who comes to Jesus for one reason, and in the end, he gets something else in addition. So he comes to Jesus for a very real and pressing need, right? His son is sick. He's about to die. Uh, presumably, this man is a man of means, so he was, a, he was a royal official. He had a whole entourage behind him. Presumably, he would have already exhausted all the other means that he had in his hometown. He comes to Jesus for a very real and pressing need, and then by the end of it, in verses 53 and 54, it says, the father realized this was the very hour at which Jesus told him, your son will live. So he himself believed, along with his whole household. He starts out just trying to get his son healed, and in the end, him and his entire household have faith. What does it show us about the nature and the character of God? It shows us that underneath everything, what God truly wants for you is to develop your faith. On the road of, on the highway of faith, there are many entrances, and God will use almost anything and will, will allow the daily circumstances we have in our life to be situations and circumstances that are being used by God to fuel and to form your faith. I heard one quote say it like this. It says, the circumstances we are asking God to change are often the circumstances God is using to change us. The circumstances that you have prayed about this week, that you're saying, God, I wish you would just change this, change this. God is sometimes using these circumstances to change you. And this is what we see here in uh, John 4, that the circumstance that he was asking Jesus to change, 
His son was sick. He wanted Jesus to intervene and to heal his son. Jesus used that circumstance to change him. Some of you think that God is out to get you because it doesn't feel like life has ever hit a smooth patch. It's not that God is out to get you. God is out to form you. And sometimes God uses uncomfortable means to do that. Uh, but this is the way that we see God operate in all throughout Scripture. So um, the first thing we see about faith is that it's really important to God, and God uses our daily needs and circumstances to build our faith. The second thing we see about faith comes from verse 48. And to be perfectly honest, the first, time I, first couple times I read it, I didn't really understand what it was saying. And we have teaching team meetings here where a bunch of us on staff gather together to talk about the scriptures. And even when we talked about it, we were just kind of confused. Like, this is, it actually sounds kind of harsh. Uh, in verse 48, it says, Jesus told him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So this man comes to Jesus with a very real need. His son is dying. He goes to the dude who had just turned water to wine, right? And that this guy could do miracles. Like, what do you expect? Like, what do you expect, Jesus? Why would Jesus turn, you know, look over his shoulder to tell and to address the crowd what was going on? So I mentioned earlier that Jesus had already uh, done a miracle in his town, and there was starting to be a little bit of a, a buzz about him. And Jesus, when he interacts with this man, he looks over his shoulder at the crowd, and he's also looking over at us, and he's giving us a warning about faith. Faith that's built on the spectacular is not biblical faith. Faith that is built on the spectacular occurrences of life is not a biblical faith. God guides us verbally, not visually. And if we were to have a version of faith that is all about God doing spectacular, wonderful, miraculous things, really what we're asking God to do is to not make us have real faith at all. If we're going to have real faith, we're going to have to believe in God and trust in his, his words. This man, when he interacts with Jesus, Jesus tells him, go, that's it, one word, yo, son, dip. And the guy, he leaves. It wasn't anything spectacular. It wasn't anything miraculous. It was just simply him relying on God's word. Jesus is warning us here against a version of faith that is all about the spectacular. And Jesus tells him, he warns him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. That's a version of faith that God doesn't want you to have at all. Now, mainly because that's not going to lead to like a real relationship. Like if it's all about the spectacular and the flashy, then it's not going to be real. Uh, we live in a day of Instagram uh, and, you know, engagements and all this other stuff. And um, I have seen people, uh, you know, go all out for their engagement. They got mariachi bands. They're not even Mexican. Just because it was Taco Tuesday, they got a mariachi band. They got helicopters dropping cards and matching outfits and every, all the things that, uh, you know, make you throw up in your mouth a little bit. And no shade if you can afford it and do it. But I've also lived long enough now to have seen some of those same people, and one friend in particular, I've seen the elaborate engagement, and I've also seen the divorce. That public spectacle was not enough to actually maintain a private relationship. What does maintain a private relationship, a real relationship? Trust. Vulnerability. You cannot have a real relationship with God if, it's always, if it always has to be spectacular. How does this play into your life? So many of us struggle with 
the daily disciplines of Bible reading and prayer because the vast majority of them are not spectacular and they should not be spectacular. And if you're relying on you, you crying snot bubbles every time you read Psalms to maintain you and to carry you, you're asking God to say, God, don't, don't make me have faith. Let me just always feel something amazing so I don't actually have to have faith. Faith built on the spectacular is not a biblical faith. And Jesus warns the crowd against this because he knows how shallow that type of faith would be. A real relationship is not built on a public spectacle, but private trust and vulnerability. And what Jesus wants us to have is to learn to trust his words. In 1 Kings 9, there's a scripture in the Old Testament where God describes his presence in, in very interesting ways to the people of the day. He tells his prophet Elijah, Elijah, go, go wait for me, and, I'm, and my presence is going to pass you. So Elijah goes, and he waits, and first there's an earthquake, and it says that God was not in the earthquake. Then there's this big fire, and it says, but God was not in a big fire. Then there's this massive wind, and it says, God was not in a massive wind. And it said, in still, small voice, that's where God was. What if God, the real presence of God, was in the most mundane, still, small voice? What if we missed him because we were looking for the spectacular? Don't look for that. God wants to guide you in ways that are not always going to be spectacular, and that's what real biblical faith is. The scripture continues in verse 49. It says, Sir, the official said to him, come down before my boy dies. Go, Jesus told him, your son will live. The man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. Faith is rooted in God's promises. Now, all throughout the Bible, God and his word are inseparable entities, that it's impossible to have God and not his word. It's impossible to have God's word and, and, and not God. And the way that God wants to guide us and direct us are through his word. If we are not willing to allow God to direct us by his word, we're going to miss everything in this whole journey of faith. All throughout the Bible, actually, you see that God directs people through his words. In, Abraham, in uh, Genesis, there's a, the father of faith, a man named Abraham. When, when God comes to Abraham, he says, Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go, and I'll tell you where you're going to go once you start walking. The way that God guides us and directs us is God guides moving feet. Here's the thing about God and his guidance. God does not give guidance. God does guidance. God does not give you guidance. God does guidance. As it says in, um, in, in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust the Lord with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. As you are going, God is directing and making your paths straight. God does not give guidance. He does guidance. Yes. God leads us verbally, not visually. God calls us. Here's the thing about faith. Faith is a call into the unknown where we are invited into a journey to trust God. Like Abraham, like this man in John 4, faith is a call into the unknown. Go. That's it. Where we are invited on a journey to trust God. I heard one theologian say it like this. The reason that God doesn't always tell us everything up in advance is because God is more interested in our transformation than he is our information. God is more interested in transforming you, forming you to be a person of faith, to trust him, than he is for you to be always in the know. 
And God does this by giving us instructions and asking us to move forward in that direction. Verse 51, it says, while he was still going down, his servants met him saying that his boy was alive. He asked them at what time he got better. Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him, they answered. Now, verse 51 and 52, we see that this man was allowed and able to see something that few people uh, have been able to see is that they've been able to witness the miraculous of God's working in their life. But he was able to see it because he went. In our culture, we're told that you should see something, then you should believe it, then you would go. In the kingdom of God, we see that order completely changed. We're called to believe, then to go, and then we'll promise we'll see something. We're called to believe, then to go, then we'll see. I wonder how many of us have stifled our own spiritual lives and the activity of God in our lives because we haven't yet been willing to go, because the fear of the unknown has kept us back. Now, I do want to give a big caveat to this. Uh, earlier, I mentioned that faith is not a formula. We cannot manipulate God. We can't force God to do things that we want him to do. And sometimes God doesn't do what we want him to do, even in the very end. I was watching online last week a funeral of a woman named Lois Evans, and her husband is uh, Pastor Tony Evans in, in Texas. And he's actually the first African-American author of a study Bible, an entire commentary Bible. And um, it's... Uh, it's an amazing uh, work that he put together. And at her funeral, man, I was watching one of her sons, and this dude had me just completely in a puddle. He said, man, we prayed so hard that God would do something. He said, yeah, we prayed so hard that God would hear my mother. We had all the faith. We believed. And then one day it hit me. Because my mother is uh, a follower of Jesus, because she, uh, she will spend eternity with him, either she's going to be healed or she's going to be healed. Either she's going to walk in victory or she's going to walk in victory. Either she's going to see God in peace or she's going to see God in peace. But there was no losing with this. Now, sometimes faith means accepting that what God has for you is still coming from the hands of a good father, even when you can't see it now. Sometimes it's trusting that what God has given you is good, even when it doesn't feel good. And that's faith. Jesus is talking to one of his disciples who see his hands and his, after he's crucified and resurrected. And he says, well, blessed are you because you believe, but blessed are those who believe and have not seen. May those be the words spoken over us. Now, earlier I mentioned that our trust is choosing to make something important to you vulnerable to the actions of someone else. So you choosing to trust God and to have faith in God means taking something that's valuable and precious to you and putting it in God's hands and making it vulnerable to him. And why would we do that? We would do that only because Jesus is the one who first became vulnerable for us. There's a scripture in, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus is with his disciples. And his homeboy Peter is from the Bronx because as soon as the... Uh, as soon as the pilot and his officials come, Peter pulls out the shank, and he's like, yo, what's good? Where we at? <laughs> Peter cuts off a dude's ears, and Jesus rebukes him and says, Peter, Peter, if I wanted to, I can call 12 legions of angels, and they would obliterate these, these soldiers. Pilate doesn't have any authority over me. I'm laying my life down to him. Allow this to happen. 
Jesus is the one who became vulnerable for us, and he invites us to become vulnerable to him. For some of you, it's a relationship that you need to lay down and allow God to guide you, not fear to guide you. For others of you, it's your job or what you're doing vocationally. For others of you, it's the boring, mundane moments of life that you just need to trust God, that he's doing something in you even when you don't feel it. And you need to continue, continue to lay down your precious time and put it in the hands of the one who promises you that he's doing something with it. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you know all of the obstacles to faith, and we could have been here for another hour talking about all of the different reasons why it's so difficult to truly be people who live by faith. But Lord, no matter where we are in life, I pray that you would allow us to be people of faith. God, motivate us, show us what the next step is, and give us the courage to take it. God, help us to trust you when we don't feel like anything is happening. Help us to trust that you are, that you're good, even when we don't feel like life is good. Help us to trust that you are wise, even when we feel like our plans might be better than yours. All the time, all the way, motivating us by your gospel, reminding us that you have first become vulnerable for us, and you're calling us to be vulnerable to you. Help us to live out of that love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.